0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The first time I met Troy Brand was October 2019, a day I won't forget anytime soon. Troy Brand is the senior pastor at Orchard Park Seventh-day Adventist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. There was a local veteran who had been homeless but was working to get back on his feet. He got a job, then found housing, but just a few weeks later, he passed away. That veteran had living relatives, but they hadn't had a relationship for years. So the local veterans community and others came together to give that veteran a funeral at the Chattanooga National Cemetery. Troy Brand performed the funeral service that day. He's a Marine Corps veteran, and I talked to him for the first time after that service.
1: A member called and needed my services, and that's what I do. I serve. And then when she said it's a veteran, she says, I know you were in the Marine Corps, so I know this is important to you, and she was right. You know, um, we got to honor those who serve. That's my brother in arms. This is
0: Tomorrow Town, Tennessee. This is the podcast that tells the stories of the people who call the Tennessee Valley home, explores the problems they face, and talks to the people working on solutions and working to move this region forward. I'm Josh Rowe. I'm your host for this journey. After meeting Troy, we've invited him to join us for two town hall discussions. We've interviewed him for other stories we've told On our newscasts, I've also called him to just get his thoughts on difficult issues our community has faced in the past. So I thought he would make an interesting guest for this podcast. And as with every other conversation I've had with Troy, I walked away with a different perspective on several topics we discussed. So here is that conversation with Pastor Troy Brand. Troy Brand. I appreciate you joining us today. When we started this podcast, I have a short list of people who I thought I need this person on this the show. And the reason is, is because every time I talk to you, I learn things. And so thanks for coming here. If people don't know you and don't know your story and don't know, you know, your journey through this world, uh, what do you want people to understand about you um, or know about you or how you see the world or what you think?
1: That's interesting. And the reason why I say that is because I sent the text out to my, my family today, um, based on something that happened with a, another pastor. And I said, um, know that I'm a great father, great husband, uh, a great pastor and a great friend. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of what I want people to remember about me. Not necessarily accomplishments more than quality. You know, then I'm a quality person. You ever, you ever meet somebody? and you say that's a good that's just a good guy. He doesn't do anything amazing, you know. Doesn't leap buildings in a single bound. He's just just a good guy. And that's kind of what I want people to know that I try my best to live my life in such a way that people say that's a good guy. Um other than that, I'm a family man, five children, married for 28 years. Ooh. And and I became uh, a granddaddy. But you need to know this, Josh. Okay. I'm not a granddaddy. I am a brand daddy.
0: <laughs> gotcha. Okay, so you, sure. you, you
1: can tell the tell, tell listeners why. Yeah. You can tell them why I'm a brand daddy. Well, your last name is Brand. Exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And so I met your your grand your granddaughter. Your granddaughter, you brought her in here yes, last did. time you were here yes. Yes, you did. back in December.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about fatherhood uh, later in, in the in, in the show, but, okay. but let's get into some some topics. You've been on a couple of town halls. You've done other stories with us. You've you've been an interesting voice on on different subjects, and I want to get your thoughts on this. I think you may have some some interesting insight on it. the The second episode we did was with Mayor Tim Kelly talking about his one Chattanooga plan, and the idea. And I'm su- sure you're familiar with this idea. There's two Chattanoogas, right? Uh, one one reality. If if you grow up poor in this town. Another reality, if you don't. Simple as that. Now we all know that there are different outcomes, no matter where you live, based on your economic situation. Um, but here, according to the to the stats, is that if you grow up poor in Chattanooga, your outcome is significantly worse here than it is in a lot of other places. First, just your thoughts on that premise—the so idea of of two Chattanoogas—and how, how you how you see that specifically.
1: Um. I see it as accurate Um, and I don't I don't believe that it's just one man's notion or some people's a group of people's notion because they are part of the have nots and they want to become a part of the haves. It's 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 built into the infrastructure. It's just it's systemic Um, and not I don't think it's purposeful. I think it's just the way the world was and it developed that way. And watch this. I don't think it's racist in the way you introduced it was those that have and those that don't. Um, most of America, all of America is built on, you know, it's, we're a capitalistic society and people who have they have and they want more. And people who don't have struggle a lot of times to get. And, and it really doesn't matter the race. Now, does racism play a part in it? Yes. Does sexism play a part in it? It does. But overall, it's always been in America haves versus have nots. And I think it makes it's manifest pretty good here in Chattanooga. Yeah.
0: You've, you've lived in a lot of places. You grew up in Baltimore, is that right? That's correct. And then lived in Mississippi and Alabama. So you've, you know, you've had some, some firsthand knowledge of of different places that you've been. When you look at Chattanooga, Compared to maybe other places you, you've been, what do you feel like that that we're we're getting right and wrong around that idea of 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 trying to figure out how do you move forward? How, how do you move forward as one? We are divided in so many ways. We talked about you know economically and you know mm-hmm, race and sexism. I mean, these these things are also you know important as well. But we're, we're divided in a lot of different ways, um, and you can split that you know a lot yes. of different ways. Like right. how, how do you think? we that's the whole theme of this podcast right how do we move forward together mm-hmm. um that's that that's a that's a tall that's a tall order and probably a hard question but but when you think about it like what are your thoughts on on what we're getting wrong and right
1: so so um let me say more than identifying what's wrong um and in a i think where we've where we've failed well let me say it this way yeah i'll identify what's wrong education is key to everything it's it's a found it's foundational and so when we have a school system that um that disadvantages or does not advantage I would say does not advantage some and does advantage others based on taxpayer zip codes and so forth then it's going to create a natural divide. If we can set up our educational system in such a way where we give everybody an equitable chance to succeed, then I think we will see those things disappear. In, in places across America where the educational system is robust and all students have an opportunity to achieve, then you see less disparities in society. And I think that's, that's where we start. We need to start with education. Um, the delivery of the education and number two, be very deliberate. About changing people's mindsets. Um, if we teach people, um, to think about their situations a little differently, in other words, with a little bit more hope, um, in our educational system right now, um, we, we indirectly communicate to kids that you really don't have much hope. Um, and I'll, I'll use an example in the, in, in Malcolm X's, um, his autobiography, and they also display it in the movie when he was, In school, he went to school with a bunch of white kids and the teacher says, Malcolm, what do you want to be when you grow up? He says, I want to be a lawyer. Well, Malcolm, you know, that's not a good career for a Negro. A Negro should be good with his hands and so forth. That was education. Now, that was the way the world was at that time. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it. It was what it was. But if, if this woman, if that teacher would have said to him, well, that's a noble profession, Malcolm, you can do that. It would have changed his perspective. Now, it did something to him because he remembered it and he recounted it in his life. But at the same time, what I'm saying is there are plenty of kids who don't get poured into to say, OK, so we say you can be the president. Let's let's be realistic. Anybody can run for president. <laughs> but those of none of us can be president. Let's just be honest. If me and you decided tomorrow that we wanted to run for president, the chances are, are slim to none, you know. Uh, we probably better off trying to get struck by lightning than to be the president. So let's not sell the kid the pipe dream that he can be the president. What we can tell this kid is you can run your own company. Um, you can actually do, you can be a news broadcaster and so forth. Give them some realistic goals and help them to approach those goals. That's education does that. And so what do you need to do to become a, a, a TV broadcaster? Well, you need to be able to speak English pretty good. So you may want to learn some English and, and do your English. We you need to be able to write well. Um, and so forth. And so if we educate children differently, I think we can eliminate some of the disparities that we have.
0: Yeah. When you you have a voice in this community. Like you said you've been here for six years, but but that said, being a being a pastor, um, being where, where you are, you do have a voice. You have a chance to to, to lead your congregation and, and to be a, a leader in, in in some ways there. Do you feel like when we talk about issues? And I don't. I'm not picking on the city of Chattanooga specifically, but just just issues locally. Maybe maybe it's in the county. Maybe it's broader than that. Maybe it's in the state legislature. Do, do you feel like there are places where where you and other um, uh, faith leaders are being heard ab- about the, the the way you see things?
1: Um, heard, but not listened to. Um, hearing and listening aren't the same. And we always hear. We can hear sounds. Uh, we hear people talking. We can hear a whole bunch of stuff. But what w- listening involves interpreting meaning. And so um, what I, I I'll go a long way to give the explanation. What I learned from Donald Trump was something real good. Let him protest. Let We, we will we will hear them. And so the women protested right away after he got elected and they marched in D.C. It died away. Uh, Someone else came after him and they protested and it died away. And the, and, and, and Donald Trump made four years of protests on a weekly basis or, or every two weeks. And people made a whole bunch of noise. He didn't listen to any of them. He ke- he kept his focus and did what he, now and I'm not saying I was for him or against. Him, I'm not saying that. I'm saying he taught us a valuable lesson in hearing versus listening. When people listen to you, they interpret meaning, they, 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 they empathy is created. And then they begin a conversation to try to say, okay, I feel your pain. I understand that we, this thing happened or this situation exists. How can we make it better and how can we fix it? This is what the mayor is probably talking about when he talks about the two Chattanooga's somewhere, some, somewhere he listened to some people and him listening caused his, his perspective to change. And so what I'm saying is, um, that's, that's kind of where we have to be. We have to be willing to listen, um, more than just hear. And once we start listening, then things change. Um, and what, In church, so so most, most not all church, but let me just use my, my congregation is pretty much middle class. And so when we go out into the community and we enter into a home where people are living in abject poverty, um, you know, there's bugs in the home. The house is severely unkept. The kids aren't clean. This is a culture shock. And I'm not talking about I don't pass the white. I have a 98 percent black congregation, African-American, Caribbean-American congregation. And they're in they're in shock to see people live this way. And so when they talk to them, are they are they hearing what this are they listening to them? Are they empathizing? Because there's a reason why this person is in a situation there and homeless. person. There's a reason why they're the way they are. Now, that doesn't mean we have all of the answers. But we stop passing judgment on them once we understand how a person got to the situation where they are. It helps us to say, OK, it's not just that they're lazy. Um, it's not that they don't want anything. No, they don't use drugs simply because they just wanted to indulge in drugs. They're always outliers to these things. But most people find themselves in difficult situations and it spirals out of control. Um, and they feel bit. Once you, once, you, once you get to hopelessness, ah. Uh, it's hard to it's hard to recover from living hopeless and nothing ever changing. Um yeah.
0: So when you say that, when you say that you take members of your congregation into a home and it's hard for them to empathize, can you lead with empathy? Can you can you show others how to be more empathetic? Can people learn to be more, more have more empathy when it comes to understanding someone else's? situation their path their choices etc
1: yeah em- empathy empathy we we have to be willing to be uncomfortable uh, in order to really understand a person's situation so um whether it's enter- entering into a space where somebody's living in poverty or talking to somebody who's been um, maybe harmed or violated sexually or abused or whatever the situation may be, uh, if we're willing to be uncomfortable and then begin to take a journey with that person, it it, it builds empathy because it can happen for a moment and you're gone. Um, but if you have to continue to go back to that space or continue to engage with that person, um, that's that's what relationships are. You know that um, in marriages, <laughs> we we have to be willing to be uncomfortable in order to stay in and uh, make our marriages work. But it, every relationship is, is similar. Um, and so. To lead with empathy, uh, as me as a leader, I have to be able to talk to the person. Uh, if a house is unkept, I have to sit down on the couch. It may not be the most attractive place to sit and sit comfortably. If, so not on the edge, but kind of lounge back. You know, If they offer me a glass of water, I have to say, yes, I'll take some water. They offer me something to eat. Okay, let me get a piece. Of, you know, I have to do all those things so that person doesn't feel that, okay, they think they're better than me. People, we know it. We've been around people. You know when they they're kind of resistant to everything and it's just a show a facade and so once we once we once we win that person's confidence we can't abandon them what happens is when when people don't have trust is hard to come by and so once you earn that person's trust it's necessary um to be consistent and so what happens with politicians what happens with teachers even in some spaces is there's inconsistency, and so we don't trust politicians because they make a promise, they come in, they do a photo op, it looks good, they may clean up the neighborhood, uh, you know, open up a, they cut the ribbon, and then a few few months later, it, things are back to normal. But the politician's gone on now; he's moved from um, the state legislature to uh, the U.S. Congress, you know, because he's doing so much in the community. Same with pastors, you know, Um we we come into a community and. You know we we protest, yes, and we make we look good, and we make the statements, but nothing changes for the people, the pastor the benefits from that that press coverage, you know he may even get a member or two, you know, maybe his his um tithe increase i'm just I'm just telling the truth, but nothing changes because it's uncomfortable for me to do the everyday groundwork. It's uncomfortable not for me, it's uncomfortable for the average pastor to be the one that's constantly you know. Telling uh, government officials, you got to change your policies. You have to address these things, and and it's rhythmic. You know, you're not it's nonstop, and so, um, and that's because we empathize. You know, I, I came from poverty. I mean, you know, Baltimore has its reputation, and a lot of it is true. I came from it, and so when I'm here in Chattanooga, I understand what people are going through, and so no, if you have people need advocates. Advocates don't advocate for themselves. Advocates advocate for others and it takes empathy to be consistent in that because it's a it's an arduous process. Why do I want to give up what I've worked hard for? Why do I want to share what I've worked hard for? Why, what 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 benefit is there for me who who I, if I'm in the category of the haves, what benefits are there for me to give what I have to somebody who who, who hasn't earned it? And so that takes a lot of a lot of relationship building, talking to these people who have helping them to understand the plight of those that don't have and being this bridge builder, uh, takes some hits to the reputation. And, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, I've seen some op eds and, you know, Reverend Brand has done so and so and he said so and so and they've just run me in the dirt. Uh, you know, it's you know, it's OK because they don't know me and I don't I don't take it personal, but you but I get back in the fight. If if one person says something negative about me uh, in a commentary section of the newspaper, and I back off because I can't handle it, then I'm not the person um, that God has chosen to fight that battle in the first place. Mm. Mm.
0: Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move: fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes.
1: There really is no place like home.
0: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. You mentioned political leaders in that answer, and, and the question I asked earlier about, do you feel like you're, you're, you're being heard? It said heard but not listened to. And I asked that specifically. I think, I think we've talked about this in the past, maybe, maybe uh, off camera before. You will hear elected officials locally will say something along the lines of, Oh, I've talked to black faith leaders Mm -hmm. about such and such. Yes. Number one, number one, we know just from that show we did on politics in the pulpit, Mm -hmm. you get three faith leaders together. You're going to agree on some things and some things. (laughs) Nobody's going to agree on. Right. I'm sure the same way among African American faith leaders, it's, it's not all bought in on one idea, right? You got different ideas and ones. Yeah, and so and so when you hear that, what what are your thoughts about that? And to, to to follow up on the question, I asked you said the part you said earlier. If they were to listen, what would they learn?
1: Hmm. So what happens is, faith leaders and politicians. Um, all of us have goals. I won't even call them ulterior motives or anything. We have goals. At the end of the day, I'm a pastor. My my mission is to take the gospel to the world. Um, uh, part of that, taking the gospel to the world is building up my congregation so we can be more effective in carrying the gospel to the world. Um, some pastors, they're building up their congregation means they get more money. For themselves, and I'm not. I'm not casting any dispersion on anybody. I'm just telling what it is. This is how it is. If I have a large church, I have large money. I'm in a. I'm in a a denomination where all of us make the same. So if I have three thousand members, or two hundred members, or forty members, our paychecks are the same. Uh, But that's not true for everybody. And so, and a politician, the same thing. The politician doesn't want to just. Well, most politicians don't want to just stay small. They want to grow, and they want to be more impactful. And so we have motives behind what we do. And so when these two faith leaders say they talked, um just having that conversation could be beneficial to them for election time. Hey, I've talked to Reverend so-and-so, Reverend so-and-so, Reverend so-and-so, and Reverend so-and-so, and those three reverends will line up and endorse this politician. They get credibility from their congregation. The politician gets credibility from the community. Everybody wins. Nothing changes. If they talk to the people, not just to the faith leader, But talk to the people, if the faith leader brings the people to the politician and let the people talk, what would they learn? They would learn that most people aren't necessarily hateful of politicians, maybe distrustful because of a lot of broken promises, a lot of self-serving, a lot of catering to those who do vote. In Chattanooga, we have a horrible voter turnout in the city. And then the people in the city complain and say, Hamilton County gets everything and the city gets nothing. Well, when you only have, what, 8,000 or 9,000 people in the whole city turn out to vote, you, you probably won't get the politician's attention. But if you're a good politician, you don't say, well, I'm just going to go to where the people are voting. You come to those people and, and you encourage them to vote. Uh, and you listen to those people. What do you need? How can I help you? How can I best serve you? Um, what would they learn? They would learn that a lot of people really do want an honest wage for honest work. They would learn, uh, that there are people who are sick, who need health care, and they're not, they're not, they're not begging and asking for a handout, but they just want to have an opportunity to be well so they can actually have a decent living. Uh, they would learn that there are a lot of, watch this, intelligent people who are in poverty. They may not have the best diction. Um, they may not have the best clothes uh, and some other things that may be uh, unattractive, air quotes, about them. But they are very intelligent. Um, you've heard this before. They're people who who are who who are, who are selling drugs, whether it's meth or heroin or cocaine or whatever, and they run a multi-million-dollar system. Their reading is not the best. These guys do math in their heads. They can, they can, they know how to measure and do fractions with whatever they the how they distribute their drugs and cut them up. They can disperse um, their workers out into the field and and have all this stuff coordinated and run just like a CEO. If you take that same person with that intelligence and you put him in a company and you teach him how to be a CEO, he'll run it just like that. They're intelligent. Um, people are loving. You know, and forgiving. This is what politicians would learn if they were to, were to talk to people and and listen to the people. People just everybody. Let me tell you something about America. Everybody just wants a fair shake. They just want an equitable chance to make it. Nobody's asking for handouts for handout's sake. And when I say nobody, it's a general statement. There's always an outlier, but most people listen. I'll work for my food. <laughs> just give me an opportunity to work. Don't discriminate against me. Uh, don't lock me out of a system. Give me a, a chance to be educated. Don't make the act, uh, the, uh, the college tuition so high that I can't afford it. You know, um, when you do the school vouchers, <laughs> let it be equitable for all private schools. Watch this. And not just for the, for the, um, the, uh, rich private schools in, in let's just face it. The voucher system that was created, <laughs> it's for the richer schools. It's, it's a benefit for rich folk. But they have to let my little school benefit from it, or it would be obvious that it's for them. Well, make it just create it for everybody from the beginning. If you're going to do a voucher system, you know what I'm saying, and make it easy, uh, not have to have so much cash on hand in order to participate in a voucher system. I mean, anyway, I went off on something different. No,
0: it was it was interesting <laughs> stuff for real. I I, I want to end on on this idea, and okay. this mistake, take take if you missed it, work work through this. Mm-hmm. Um, I really appreciate you coming here. I mean, I, I i like, every time I sit down with you, it's like, yeah, I didn't think about it like that. I didn't think about it like, like, like that. And so I think it's helpful. Uh, okay. And, and so I, I appreciate you doing that. I'd love to have you back sometime. I would love to do a whole series on that topic of politics in the pulpit, because I think during that show we did, we could have gone all mm-hmm. night long. I mean, mean it, it,
1: it, I was like, I told my wife, I said, we didn't, we didn't get into any. No.
0: Yeah. And so we need to. I, I, and, right. and so I, I would love to have you back and do that. But let's talk about followers for a minute. Mm-hmm. This is the first episode that's going to gonna, uh, be released after Father's Day. And Father's Day is a complicated situation. You mentioned your, your father and your grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um, and just from my own personal story, like I, 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 my parents divorced when I was two, mm. never lived in my, in my father's home, loved my father, but... Not the same situation there's a lot of folks who had a father in the home had right. a stepfather in the home that was chaotic you know so right. when you go to church on Father's Day and you hear the Father's day sermon uh folks who who have all these different levels of complications with dads right that can be a hard day that can mm-hmm. make folks not want to even show up that day And so, how do you think about that as as a pastor and 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 you know leading congregation? In a lot of ways, is like being you know a father of a you know a a group. How do you think about about all of those ideas? Number one, being the father in your family, but also just just fathers as as a as a as an entire you know
1: you know complicated uh, situation. I usually kind of think about my own personal situation and speak from. what I call my, my own experience. And so, and I tell people, I don't, I don't want to speak generally for every father. I don't want to generalize every situation and say all fathers should be this and the experiences are thus. And so I try to speak about how I'd like to live my life as a dad and communicate those principles and hope they transfer, um, to, um, fathers and hope it inspires sons who don't have fathers and kind of make myself more attractive to them as a mentor of sorts. And so um for me, truth, truth matters, honesty matters, integrity matters. And so one of the one of the things I try to live my life um, by is being a man of integrity with my wife, with my children, with my church, with my friends, um, with bosses. It doesn't matter who I deal with. I want people to know that Troy Brand is a man of integrity. I think that's imp- an important quality for people, but for men who are supposed to lead in their families in particular. You have to be a person of integrity. Uh, number two, um, I try to communicate through how I live to be a provider. Um, everybody's, I do marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling and with people all the time. And I try to tell them, you don't have to model after my household. But in my house, you know, not because I'm the dictator, because I believe it's my responsibility. Um, I, I, I'm the provider. Now, my wife, she, she works. She has a whole paycheck, but we try to live off of my paycheck because I believe that that's my responsibility to take care of my family. You see what I'm saying? I do. Um, and I try to teach that so that, If we, if, 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 if a person gets the notion that I've done my part, now I have to wait for you to do your part. We, we don't, we, we, we miss some things sometimes. You, you, we've all been in situations where, okay, uh, let's say school, when we're in a group and the teacher says, give us this report. Your, your group is going to report on next Thursday and you guys get together and it's always that one guy that slacks off. And it's always somebody who has to pick up the responsibility for that guy, and we don't want him to get the grade because he did nothing. And he gets up, and we say, "Don't say anything because you don't, you, you, you don't even know." So he stands back there, and the teacher gives an A, and we all grit our teeth. He got an A, and he didn't do anything. What I'm suggesting is, don't worry about it. Pick up the slack and do what you're supposed to do. That person recognizes that they got bailed out. Instead of being angry with that person, you know, you go back and you teach that. Hey, man, listen. Next time. Let us know if you need some help. We'll help you out, so forth and so on. What I'm saying is, um, re- if, if I'm going to be responsible, if I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, I'm always going to do it. I'm not going to think that somebody else, I, I, I'm dependent on somebody else to do their part in order for it to be success. I have a role. I have a responsibility that I'm supposed to do. And so in my household, I take care of my family. That's my responsibility. I don't look to my wife and say, where's your half of the rent money? <laughs> and that's my responsibility. We've talked about these things. We've we we've said, this is what you're gonna do. This is what, and so I I take that responsibility. Excuse me, I take that responsibility. Um, so I try to communicate that. I also try to communicate to people that there has to be, I'm a preacher, there has to be a level of spirituality, a certain spirituality, um, a certain something outside of yourself, a certain motivation bigger than yourself. It can't just be uh, in this world, um, it's, that's hopeless. That's hopeless. I heard a preacher say one time, he, this was, uh, in the nineties. He said, Russia will never launch a nuclear weapon. And I was thinking, why not? He said, simply because they, they're atheist and this is all they have. And so to launch a nuclear weapon and destroy all they have is not motivation at all. Then he says, but the person in the Arab country, even though they don't have nuclear weapons, they'll do suicide bombs and so forth because they have hope of something outside of this world. It's a powerful motivator to have hope. Now, I am know I'm, some people have misplaced hope. You know, in my context, I have hope, and, and you know, in a Christian context. But what I'm saying is, I try to communicate that hope that there's something bigger than me, there's something larger than me. And when I take that into full context, it's not just hope outside of this world, but it's actually making a difference in living in this world. And that hope propels us to make the world around us better for people. And so here's what I tell my church. I tell my church, we do ministry the way we do ministry. This is all tied to hope. We do ministry the way we do ministry so we can turn the volume down in the lives of people, the noise, so they can hear the gospel clearly. That's a part of hope. If I, if I believe that I have something that will make your life better in this world and then have, help you to have a life, uh, out of this world better after this world has come to an end, why wouldn't I share that? I, I I need to live it and I need to share it. But there's so much noise in the world. That's why, this is why I do community engagement. That's why I'm gonna, you know, when the police, uh, beat up a guy, and he's handcuffed. I'm going to, hey, that's noise for people. I need to turn that volume down. We do community block parties so we can help people, um, get some resource that, that turns the volume down because we have some hope to share with them. So those three things as a father, you know, responsibility, integrity, and hope. I try to put those things out there for people. Um, and hopefully I model it. Uh, I probably, you talk to my wife. She'll tell you I don't get it right every time, (laughs) but I try my best, man. Maybe she'll give me an E for effort. What do you think?
0: (laughs) Probably so. Troy Brand, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it.
1: Amen. Thank you.
0: If this is the first time you've heard a conversation with Pastor Troy Brand and you want to see more, want to hear more. I put a few links in the show notes for two town halls and that story I mentioned at the beginning of this episode about honoring a local veteran who had passed away. Thanks again to Troy for joining us. And thank you for listening to Tomorrow Town, Tennessee. This podcast is a production of News Channel 9. Fox Chattanooga and Sinclair Broadcast Group Chattanooga. We hope you join us again real soon.